0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Such an awesome uh, privilege and blessing to be here with you guys today. And so uh, thank you for allowing me to stand before you. Many of you guys uh, may not know me, been here. And so uh, my name is Ernest Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Bay City Fellowship. And uh, most recently, I've been spending most of my time over in Spring Branch. But it's such an honor to be here in Cyprus with you guys uh, today. And so we are in the middle of a series called Together. And uh, this series is just basically answering the questions, why do we do the things that we do? When we come together every week as a body of believers, as we come together as a church, uh, specifically by City Fellowship, why do we do the things that we do? And We've been going over several topics over the last couple of weeks. And today we're going to be looking at the topic of communion. So what is communion and why do we do it? What is communion and why do we do it? Now, you know, communion is something that we do on a regular basis here at Bayou City Fellowship. Uh, And if you've been here any length of time, then you have probably celebrated communion with us at one point or another. But my question or my thought is this, how many times have we come to the table without full knowledge? Or maybe there's the knowledge but not full acknowledgement of what we are doing When we come to the table and we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we take of communion. How many times do we come and we take of the bread and we drink of the cup and we really just do so out of ritual or out of habit or out of just mere following the crowd and we don't fully wear the weight of what the bread and the cup means. And so we're going to look at that today. I know as a kid, uh, for me, it was... Communion was one of those things where I didn't fully understand it. All I knew was it was something we did as Christians. And, and we, we drank this cup that we referred to as the blood of Christ. And we ate this little wafer that we referred to as the body of Christ. And to me, all it meant was that I got a snack in church it meant that I got to drink a little bit of grape juice in church. And and I grew up in a pastor's home. And so uh, being a pastor's kid, I would always try to sneak into the kitchen of the church and get the leftover grape juice or try to find the the jar of grape juice that they poured it from and get me a little cup on the side without anybody knowing about it. That's what communion was to me, is maybe I get some grape juice at church today. And of course, as I grew, so did my understanding of communion. But we all come from different walks of life. And We all may be here today and several of us have different understandings of what communion is or maybe even different um, remembrances of communion and what that means to us. I remember my son Colton, whenever I was a pastor up in uh, Abilene, Texas, and we had done communion one day and, and we were collecting the cups that were left over, and, and we were the ones that had not been drank. Uh, we were emptying out the cups into the sink, and we were just cleaning up after communion, and Colton uh, goes over, there, and he begins to take those cups, and he just starts downing them one after another, and he just starts downing these cups, downing these cups, and I remember uh, the lead pastor's wife walks in, and she's like, Colton Parker, like, what are you doing? And he's like, five, six, maybe, and and he looks at her. He's like, I'm just drinking Jesus' blood, and he just keeps on, like, drinking the cups, you know. So we have these different understandings of what communion might be. And so uh, you may be here this morning, and you don't know what communion is. You don't even know what it is, and and you've never participated in it, nor do you know anything about it. And if that is you here this morning, I'm so glad that you're here, and you're so welcome here. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you've taken communion with us in the past, or maybe you've taken communion with another church in the past, but you don't truly understand the significance of it or the purpose behind it. you just done it because it's something the church did. So if that is you this morning, I'm so glad that you're here and you're so welcome here. And then maybe you're here this morning and you know what communion is and you know why we do it and you know the significance and the purpose behind it, but you just need to be reminded of the weight that it carries. You just need to be reminded of the truth that lies behind it and how holy and sacred it really can be. And so if that is you, so glad you're here this morning. Wherever you are this morning concerning communion, my hope and my prayer is that when we leave today, we'll all do so knowing fully what communion is and why we as a church participate in it. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 26, Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start in verse 17. A little bit of background as you're turning there. This is uh, just before Jesus is going to be led to the cross and uh, is literally right before they go to the garden where he offers up the prayer in which he uh, prays so intensely that drops of blood uh, begin to, to sweat out of his body. And so this is just moments before that. And he's sitting down to have the Passover meal with his disciples. And starting in verse 17, it says, Now on the first day of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who was, who was the one to betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. And then verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of it again, drink of this fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. See, Jesus' disciples had prepared this Passover meal just as Jesus had directed. And in the middle of this meal, in the middle of this sacred moment, in the middle of partaking of this ritual, Jesus stands up, And he breaks the bread. And he says, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. And it says in the same manner, he picks up the cup. And he says, drink it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, for us to truly appreciate what's going on here, we must first understand the context of, uh, context of which it is happening. And in order to do so, we must understand the history behind the Passover. And so bear with me, if you will, because I am that history guy. Right? I'm, that, that's whenever you start talking history and you start talking things like that, that's when my inner nerd starts revealing itself and it comes out and, and, and I just geek all out. And so we're going to do that for just a moment, if you'll allow me. We're going to look at the history of the Passover now you know uh, when you go to museums and you go to to different places of historical. Value a lot of times there's placards or there's historical markers that you read that describe what is going on. And, and yes, I like I mentioned, I'm the one that is all into that. And so we'll go to a museum or we'll go to an historical place, and I'm the guy that reads every word of those markers and those placards. Now my wife is good to go, oh, this is a great room. This happened here, wonderful. Let's go to the next room. And so many times we get separated, and I don't know where she's at, and she doesn't know where I'm at because she has walked on, and I'm still reading the very first plaque we came to. And so the last time we went to the Alamo, I think it took me like three hours to go through it, and it took her like, you know, 20 minutes. But that's how I am. I like to read the placards. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to read the historical marker, if you will, of the Passover. Now, what I do want you to do, we don't have the time today, but if you would take the time, I, I encourage you to go and dive deep into the Passover, dive deep into the historical context of what truly happens whenever a Jewish family participates in the setter meal or the, the, the Passover meal because it's very interesting in the, the symbols and the symbolic nature of, of every element that is in place. In fact, uh, Beth Moore uh, does a wonderful job of breaking that apart and just laying it out for you. And it's an incredible job. And so I encourage you to go and to look deeper into that. But today, we're just going to read the plaque. We're just going to read the historical marker. And so uh, just to to lay the context for us as we move on. And so looking back at the history of the Passover, we have to go back to the book of Exodus. And through a lot of series of events, the people of God, the children of of Israel, find themselves uh, in captivity under the, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And, uh, and he has them in captivity and he has them in slavery and they are just uh, being abused and they are being used for, for him and for his work. And, and so they find themselves in this captivity for hundreds of years and, and God sends this man named Moses that shows up on the scene. And, and Moses is told by God, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so Moses, through a lot of persuading, finally says, okay, I will go. And so he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, God says that he wants you to let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, are you nuts? Like, I'm not letting these people go. They are my slaves. They are my property. Now go on about your business and get out of here. And so Moses comes back, and he says, God wants you to let his people go. And if you do not, there are going to be consequences. There's going to be these plagues that are going to come upon the people of Egypt. And so Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to let the people go. And so we begin to see plague one after another come. And we begin to see consequence one after another come against the people of Egypt. To where eventually it comes to the last plague and, and says that, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so God tells Moses, I'm going to come and I'm going to, to take the firstborn of every household. And he goes, so I want you to tell the people of Israel to prepare their homes. And if they do exactly as I say, when I send the death angel, it will pass over their homes and they will be spared. And He's like, I want you to take a spotted lamb and I want you to sacrifice that spotted lamb. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to wipe it over the frame of your house. I want you to wipe it over the doorpost of your house. And then I want you to take the meat of that lamb and I want you to roast it and I want you to eat it. And sacrifice to me and in obedience to me, and so Moses tells the people that and and so they go, and they get their lambs, and they begin to sacrifice the lambs, and they take the blood and they put it over the door frames of their home and, and then the death angel comes just as God has promised, and everywhere he saw the blood of the lamb over the door frame, over the doorpost, he passed by, and that family was spared, that household was spared, that firstborn was spared, and then as a result, Pharaoh out of desperation, goes to Moses and he says, go, take the people, get out of my land, flee, here, go. And so they leave and they were able to leave out out from underneath the the persecution and the bondage of slavery that they had been in. And so this Passover meal was an annual ritual that was instituted by God to remind the Israelites of God's faithfulness and redemptive work. Uh, In the past, by freeing them from slavery in Egypt, but also in the future as they look to the coming of the Lamb of God that will fulfill the promises of God that we find in Exodus 6. The promises of a Messiah that would come and would bring ultimate redemption to their people. And so they look back at what God had done and look forward to what God is going to do. And it was an annual meal year after year. And so it's in the middle of this sacred meal that Jesus... Breaks with tradition and announces, this bread is my body given to you, and this cup is my blood which is poured out to you. And for us, that may not seem like a big deal. But to the Jews at that time, it would have been a huge deal. Because you see, there's two things that God told them to do when it came to the Passover. He says, I want you to do it every year, and I want you to do it the same time, every time. And so for over a thousand years, it had been done the exact same way, with the exact same elements, with the exact same words, just as God told Moses to do. Every year, the head of the household would stand up and he would walk his family through the different elements of the Passover meal. And each step was to remind them of all the different elements of the exodus and the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. The people of God had been doing this since the first Passover until the night Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. And he stands up and says, this is my body and this is my blood. Now, I wonder if the disciples were there, if their minds automatically flipped over to John whenever he tells them, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And so he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And so why was Jesus breaking tradition? Why was he flipping the script? Why was he changing things up? Because he knew that in just a few moments, everything was going to change forever. He knew what lay just ahead. And he knew that he was about to give himself as the final sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world and forever change everything. And so he comes and he changes tradition. He says, no longer do we look back over the Passover, to the Passover lamb. No longer do we rely on this lamb that we slaughter as sacrifice to God. But now we look to the sacrificial lamb of God. Because I am the bread, I am the blood, I am the sacrifice that is going to take away the sins of the world. So Jesus is basically saying all this meal represents all that we celebrate and all that we anticipate with the participation of this meal, it's me. I am the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to redeem his people. know, it reminds me of when Jesus began his earthly ministry and he goes into the temple and he opens up the scroll and he turns to Isaiah. And after quoting the prophecy of Isaiah, he goes, today this prophecy is fulfilled. Like I'm the one Isaiah spoke of. And it's the same thing here. He's like, I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the one God spoke of. I'm the one that's going to bring freedom. And so he breaks tradition and begins a new tradition. You see, ever since the beginning of time, it has always taken death and it has always taken blood to cover up sin. We go all the way back to the garden where man lived in perfect harmony with God. And they lived in perfect harmony with nature. And they lived in perfect harmony with all living creatures and with one another. But in the midst of that harmony, they chose to disobey God, and they partake of the fruit, and at that moment, sin enters into the world. And in that very moment was the very first time that blood was shed to cover that sin. Because see, Jesus steps onto the scene, and Adam and Eve, they run and they hide, because it says now they all of a sudden were aware of their nakedness, and they were hiding in shame. And what did Jesus do? He took an animal, and he killed it. And He created for them clothing to cover their nakedness and their shame. For the very first sin, it took blood and sacrifice to cover sin. And it hasn't changed up until today. In Egypt, it took the sacrifice of the Passover lamb for the death angel to pass over the house and provide salvation. All through the Old Testament, with the Old Testament sacrifices, it took the death of a sacrificial lamb to cover up the sins of the people. And so, Now Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I'm offering my body and I'm offering my blood to be the sacrifice. But I don't come to just cover sin. I come to abolish it. I don't come to just cover up sin so that a year from now you have to do this all over again. I come to permanently take away the sting of death and to take away the power of sin over your lives. In John 1, 9, uh, 129, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he proclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes and takes away the sins of the world. And so at this moment, Jesus, in essence, is saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm the body. My body is the bread. My blood is the cup. And so with that foundation, what is Communion. Communion is a time that we gather together as one body. 1 Corinthians ten seventeen, Paul says this, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of that one bread. So we come as one body to remember and to reflect upon what Christ did for us, giving us his life for us so that we may have true life. And we come to celebrate the freedom that we now have through relationship with him. One theologian says this about communion. He says, the Lord's Supper or communion is the means of inspiring the believer's faith and love as he or she reflects again on the wonder of the Lord's death and the fact that those who believe in Him will live everlastingly. So communion is us gathering together to remember and reflect upon Christ's sacrifice and to celebrate everything that th- comes with that. So why do we do it? Why do we Participate in communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. It's Paul speaking. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So why do we take communion, why do we take the Lord's Supper? The first reason we take communion is to remember. It says, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do so to remember. To remember what? The sacrifice that Christ paid for you and I. You see, the Bible is very clear that each and every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that there is none righteous, no, not one. And and every single one of us in this room, if we're being honest with ourselves, we would be the first to raise our hand and say, man, I know I've messed up. I know I've fallen short. I know that describes me. But it goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. That's not good news. Nobody's righteous. Nobody measures up. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And the wages of sin is death. And so each of us carry a penalty of death over our head. But it goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Christ comes and he gives his body as the bread and he gives his blood as the wine. And in doing so, he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And in doing so, he said, it's the blood of the new covenant. If we go back to Jeremiah, which we won't do right now for the sake of time, but if you go back to Jeremiah, you see God's new covenant being promised. He says, I'm going to restore and create a new covenant with my people. And they will be my people, and I will be their God, and I will forgive them of their sins. And so Christ is referring back to that new covenant. And he says, I've come to take away not only the sins of the world, but take away your sin so that you can have freedom, so that you can have forgiveness, so that you can have eternal life. And so when we take communion, we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. We remember that without Him, we're dead. But in Him, we have life and have it everlasting. So we come remembering Christ's sacrifice. We also come remembering who we are as a result of that sacrifice. I don't know if you're like me or not, but there's a lot of times the enemy likes to come and tell me things in my ear that are not true. He likes to tell me that I'm less than who I am in Christ. He likes to tell me sometimes that I'm not good enough, that I don't measure up, that God can never use me. And he begins to whisper these lies into my head, and if I'm not careful, I start to buy in to those lies. But when we come and we partake of the bread and we partake of the cup, we're reminded of who we are as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says that we are God's child. The creator of all things, the one who holds the stars and the planets in their perfect place, he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter. So through Christ, we are God's child. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that in Christ we are a new creation, amen? How many times do we stand looking in the past and, oh, pastor, if you only knew what I have done. Oh, pastor, if you only know the things in my past, if you only know the depths of the depravity that I have been in. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter, because the past is the past. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creation in Christ. And so Jesus looks and he says, I'm not worried about your past. I'm worried about your future. And in me, you are a new creation, so walk in the identity of being a new creation in me. In Christ and through his sacrifice, we become a chosen people. <laughs> How many of us say, I just want to belong. I just want to matter. I was watching uh, Undercover Boss yesterday. I don't even know it still came on, but it was like a marathon or something. And I just happened to, to be watching it, and there is an episode that at the end, if you've ever seen it, at the end the, the owner reveals himself, the CEO reveals himself, and uh the secrets revealed, and they had this little conversation, and and one of the workers at the very end was being interviewed, and he had tears streaming from his eyes. He says, I guess all I needed was someone to step into my life and tell me that I mattered, to tell me that I was worth something. And he goes, Man, that's made all the difference. Maybe you're here today and you just need someone to step into your life and tell you that you matter. Maybe you need someone to step into your life and tell you that you're, that you're worthy, that you're worth something, that there's value in who you are. Well, in Christ and through his sacrifice, 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You matter. Your life has value and your life has purpose. Romans 8, 37 says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave his self for us. Ephesians 1, 7 says that through him we have forgiveness of our sins. And then Galatians 5, 1 says that we have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. And so we come remembering remembering what Christ has done, but also remembering what that brings and what that means for each and every one of us. And then we come partaking the Lord's Supper to worship. And as we come to worship, we come examining ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight or 26, pardon me, says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It was verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so we come and we examine ourselves because we don't just flippantly come to the Lord's table. but We come with full weight of what it means and what it represents. And so we come prepared to stand before Christ our King. I remember as a kid once, it was very tragic in my life. I was about 12 years old with my limited understanding of what the Lord's Supper meant and and of communion. And, and, you know, being a kid, you only, uh, at least I only listened to like, 25% 25% of what was being said, and so I would pick, and however the, the pieces put together is what stuck in my head, and so I remember being about 12 years old, and we took communion at church, and, and then church was over, went out, and we had lunch, and by the time we got home, man, I had broken out into some cold sweats, and I began to shake, and, and I remember my hands being clammy, and just not feeling it, my body was aching, and, and my stomach began to hurt, and, and in my mind, I was dying. Like, I literally thought I was dying, and I remember going, what is going on here? And in my mind, immediately flashed back to the Lord's Supper to take a communion, and I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Like, I took the Lord's Supper, and I didn't examine myself, and I didn't prepare myself, and so now I'm going to die. Because, see, if you keep reading in those verses, it says that, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So I was like, great, I did it. I took of the Lord's Supper. Undiscerningly and now I'm gonna die. And so I ran into my dad's room and I remember beating on the door, opening the door, and I just fell down on my dad in front of my dad. I'm like, Dad, please pray for me. And he's like, Oh, okay, but what are we praying for? And I'm like, I'm gonna die. And he's like, Why are you gonna die? And I'm like, Because I took the Lord's Supper and I just I wasn't even thinking about it. And I just took it and I did it and I didn't examine myself, and now God's judging me and I'm gonna die. And I remember just bawling and truly, it's hilarious now, but at the time I was petrified. And my dad just kind of laughed and he said, son, you're going to be okay. And gave me a little lesson in God's grace. But in walking away, he goes, maybe this should be a lesson on how you live your life, son. I was like, I get it, dad. But we come, and as we come to worship through taking to the Lord's Supper, we come examining ourselves. Not under the weight of fear, of going, if I do this wrong, God's going to squash me. Because that's not who God is. But we come out of reverence and awe, saying that I'm going to go and I'm going to partake of the Lord's body. I'm going to taste the forgiveness that he offers for us, and I dare not do it with an unclean heart. I dare not do it without the full weight of what that means. And so we come having examined ourselves and preparing ourselves to stand before our king. And as we come to worship, we also come to give thanks. We are humbled by the sacrifice made on our behalf. and We offer up thanksgiving and praise. And as we come and worship, we renew our commitment to God. We remember what He did for us, and we remember the commitment that we made to Him when we placed our faith in Him. And so we renew that commitment, and we say, Today I choose again to follow Christ. Today I choose again the body of Christ. Today I choose again the blood of Christ. And I'm going to walk in every ounce of what that means. And so we come renewing our commitment to God. And so we take communion to remember, we take communion to worship, and we take communion to proclaim. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so we come proclaiming, and when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a testimony of our faith in Christ. It is a testimony that we believe in what we are partaking of, that we believe that Christ's body is the bread, and we believe that Christ's blood is is represented by the juice. And so in doing so, we partake of the forgiveness that was offered by Him offering up His body for us. And so it's a testimony of our faith in Christ. We believe that Christ is the Passover lamb. We believe that Christ is the one that takes away the sins of the world. And so we come and we take and we proclaim. We're also proclaiming that we believe that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. And then we proclaim that Jesus is coming again. It says in verse 26, until he comes. And so we come knowing that Yes, Christ has come, and yes, he has offered forgiveness, but not only has he come, but he has gone away to the Father, and he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's not coming in a manger, but he's coming on the back of a horse, and he's coming with a sword in his hand, and he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. And when he does so, he's going to call us up to be with him, and we're going to stand with him forever and ever. And so we proclaim that Jesus is coming again to call his bride to himself. And we say, even so come. And then when we come to take the Lord's Supper, we do so to fellowship. First together. When we come to the table as a church, we come in unity. Once again, 1 Corinthians 10, 17, Paul is saying, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. And we fellowship as a family. So we come together as a family, we partake as a family, and we fellowship around the table as a family in unity. Loving one another, caring for one another being there for one another. and Then we also come to fellowship with Christ. Now, we do not believe that the elements of communion, that the, that the bread actually becomes the body of Christ. We do not believe that the blood actually, or the juice actually becomes the blood of Christ. That's not what we believe. But at the same time, we also believe that they are more than just mere symbols. They are more than just mere memorials of what Christ has done. In breaking the bread, Jesus says, this is my body, as he held it out. And in blessing the cup, he says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. And so we believe that the bread and the wine symbolize the body and the blood of Christ, but we also believe that Christ is spiritually present in a special way as we partake the bread and the wine. That he is here in that moment. And he blesses that moment as we take the bread and as we take the cup and as we remember what He has done for us. Matthew eighteen twenty 20 says, Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so as we come and we take, we fellowship with Christ. So as we come and partake of communion today, let us do so with flesh, uh, fresh clarity and with a renewed faith. We come remembering what Christ did for us. We come worshiping Him for all that He has done and continues to do in and through us. We come proclaiming our faith in Him, and we come fellowshiping with one another and with Christ himself. Now in becoming the bread and the wine and being the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus invites us to come and to taste His forgiveness. He invites us to the table. And the great thing about that is when Jesus sends out an invitation, all are invited. So if you're here today and you're in need of grace, the table is for you. If you're here today and you're in need of forgiveness and freedom, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ is here for you. If you're in need of a Savior, you're invited to come and taste forgiveness this morning. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And So if you're here this morning, and you don't know Christ, that can change because he's saying, come, come and take, come and taste the forgiveness that I offer you. Romans ten thirteen says, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So the invitation is here today to come and partake of the body of Christ, to come and partake of the cup of the new covenant, which is Christ's blood. And in doing so, we remember what He did for us. And in doing so, we worship Him. And in doing so, we proclaim our faith in Him. And in doing so, we fellowship with one another and we fellowship with Him. And so when we come to the table with this new sense of what it means to take communion and why we do it, it allows us to do so taking on the full weight and brevity of what that means. So when we come, we don't just, we're not just eating a piece of bread and drinking a sip of juice. We come remembering. We come with thankful hearts for all that Christ has done for us. And so, Father, we thank you. I thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ that was given for us. And I thank you for the cup, for the the blood of the new covenant that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, if it wasn't for you and your sacrifice, we would still be in a lost condition with nowhere to go. But it says you have come to give us life and give it more abundantly, and so we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.